Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast provides updates based on the expertise and insights from the attorneys at the Washington, D.C.-based law firm, Fortney Scott, and their guests. This podcast will provide an analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand and is for informational purposes only and does not provide legal advice. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the DC Insider Employer Update podcast. Today, we're going to unpack all the latest developments on the diversity, equity, and inclusion front following the very controversial decision in the Harvard case. And in addition to building on what we have today, we are going to be doing a full-blown webinar on this on September 12th. Go to FortneyScott.com website, register for the webinar. But today, let's turn to this podcast and get you right up to date. So we've got the panel of experts here today. I'll just go down uh, murder's row, as they say. Nita, how are you? I'm great. And it's only about 110 today. Well, summertime still. Leslie, glad to have you back. Thank you. I'm starting to feel like a regular here. Yeah, well, you're becoming a regular. And Bert, of course, how are you today? Very well. Glad to join this esteemed panel. Yes. Well, there we go. So what we really want to do, since the end of June, when the Supreme Court announced the Harvard-UNC decisions, I think as anyone knows, I mean, you look at the headlines every morning, my phone blows up with alerts every morning on new challenge to a DEI-related program. And it's really kind of unspooled at an accelerating rate. And I will say in the last 30, 40 days since that, I know members of this panel, individually and collectively, we have dealt with hundreds of employers, associations, and individually trying to stay on top of what to do, and more importantly, wondering out loud, are our DEI programs legitimate? Do they need to be modified? Do they need to be changed? Are we going to get sued? And by whom? And what are the threats that are being faced? And what, if anything, should we do? So those questions are right on the front edge of what we're seeing from so many clients. And so what we want to do is take this podcast and try to share not only kind of what those challenges are, to catalog those briefly, but then I think as importantly to unpack some of the responses that we think make sense and that we're sensing that employers are starting to gravitate to in order to recognize and mitigate legal risks and challenges that are increasingly likely in today's environment. So let's start with some of those current challenges, what they are. And Bert, I'm going to look to you if you could kick off that discussion. I guess the most prominently known is within literally almost hours, uh, but within days of the Supreme Court's ruling, 13 Republican attorneys general put all Fortune 100 companies, quote, on notice that racial preferences are illicit, and they demanded that they cease and desist from using racial preferences, which of course are already not legal. Oddly enough, the letters didn't threaten legal action under state laws, and they could have because many of the things that are prohibited under Title VII are just as prohibited under state FEP laws. But the activist states' attorneys general are the ones pushing the legal envelope in numerous social and cultural fronts. And I think many employers are concerned that investigations and hearings and things of that ilk will start happening. 
Almost immediately, 19 Democratic attorneys general responded a day or two later, just as firmly supporting DEI programs and reassuring businesses that Title VII protects compliant programs from any kinds of assault. But these cases are happening. I think within days, there's going to be a hearing in the 11th Circuit on the Florida anti-DEI lawsuit. So these things are going on right now. And there are more letters. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas sent a letter, believe it or not, to 50-plus elite law firms telling them to, and I quote, take to heart alleged violations of the law. And this was not an empty threat because private lawsuits against law firms were filed within weeks following the Cotton letter. And Nita, I think, why don't you fill us in on what those cases are? Before we get to that, Bert, I think we really want to hear what's going on with the enforcement agencies, because we've got the states saying what they're going to do. But Leslie, you need to give us an idea what's going on with the EOC, the most prominent enforcement agency at the federal level. Of course. As you all might recall, the day after the decision was issued, EEOC Chair Charlotte Burroughs issued a statement where she was very clear saying that corporate DEI programs remain lawful. But I really want to call your attention to a op-ed which Republican Commissioner Andrea Lucas issued the day after the decision. Her statement was far more measured, cautionary, and frankly, as we've seen, quite prescient. And I would urge listeners to read that op-ed because Commissioner Lucas succinctly set forth where the law currently stands, the most important legal developments, which we're going to talk about in this podcast. And she calls out race-conscious corporate initiatives that could be implicated in the future, and concluded with the advice that there has never been a better time for companies to take a harder look at their diversity. And with that, we'll talk about what happened next. So go for it, Nita. And I think Andrea Lucas really knows what's going to happen, I believe. She recognizes, and here we go. We have a whole group of people who are litigating all different aspects starting with the man who brought Harvard and UNC to our doorsteps, that would be Edward Bloom, who had the Students for Fair Admission. He now has an American Alliance for Equal Rights, and they're the ones who challenge the law firms on race-focused internships. And the law firm that he uses is full of former law clerks of Justice Thomas. So you can imagine that they feel very strongly about that. There are a number of other groups. Another group, American First Legal, which is Stephen Miller's group. They're targeting Target, as a matter of fact, in a shareholder lawsuit, which is very interesting, claiming that Target misled investors on financial risks of marketing LGBT shirts and so forth. And he's claiming securities fraud. In addition to Target, he also sued Starbucks. That case we'll talk about a little bit later was dismissed, but I don't know for how long. We've also got other Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has been suing the government entities that have race-based options available to them, and they've been very successful in that. And so in addition to the programs themselves, in fact, you know, using race to make decisions, you also have litigation on supplier diversity, internships. And finally, as Lucas indicated, we've got a group of complaints being filed with EEOC over all these topics as well. 
Well, let's talk a little bit then about, so we've got this wide array of claims that are being filed, some under, it sounds like 1981, some under Title VII, securities laws. Leslie, let's bear down a little bit on Title VII, which your former agency, EEOC, enforces. What is the lay of the land in terms of diversity programs in Title VII? We've said before, employers have long been prohibited from considering race and making employment decisions under Title VII, except in limited circumstances. And the Supreme Court's decision did not impact that. But there are developments that are coming along, legal developments and cases that employers need to be aware of. There's a case before the Fifth Circuit just decided, and there's two Title VII cases that the Supreme Court just decided to hear. Muldrow versus City of St. Louis and Davis versus Legal Services of Alabama. And those will impact DEI initiatives in the future. In those cases, the court is going to decide whether or not Title VII covers more than just the ultimate employment actions, such as hiring, promotion, and termination. And if it does expand the law to cover additional terms and conditions of employments, and this has been EEOC and DOJ's longstanding position, well, then more aspects of corporate diversity initiatives are going to be in play. You know, it's interesting, Leslie, you were just talking about Commissioner Lucas's editorial. And in that editorial, she makes clear point that if they do expand, then you're going to have to worry about mentoring, sponsorship, training, maybe even adding people to the pool of candidates, compensation and so forth. And so I think you're absolutely right. It's going to make things worse, not better. But Leslie, isn't there a provision in Title VII that gives some comfort to employers? Sure, there are exceptions. There are things that employers can do under Title VII that don't necessarily violate the law. And I really would also direct employers to look at guidance that EEOC has published. These are voluntary affirmative action guidance and guidelines. And in fact, Title VII itself in Section 713B provides a safe harbor for employers. It allows them to create a voluntary affirmative action program if it's in compliance with these EEOC guidance and guidelines. We have those legal tools that are available. Let's sort of pivot from kind of what the threats are and what some of that legal landscape is and begin to look at kind of the more practical aspect, which is really what clients come to us for primarily, which is, are the DEI approaches we're following legal? Are they permitted? And I'll kick off that discussion, and Bert, maybe you and I can talk about some of the more common ones. Let's talk about the so-called Rooney Rule. I think we're all familiar with that. I'm a Steelers fan, so I always like talking about the Rooney Rule. But the Rooney Rule basically says that when you look at a slate of candidates, there should be diversity. They should all be basically or minimally qualified, but it should be diverse. The question is, can the Rooney Rule still be followed today? I think the answer is yes depending on how you administer the Rooney Rule. For example, if you had a slate and it was not sufficiently diverse, rather than removing someone because of race or sex and substituting someone else on that basis, the better approach is to frankly take that initial slate, scrap it, look more broadly as to how you develop the slate, what your criteria were, expand or modify, and then come back and look at the slate again, the recast slate. 
Because if you're doing that reach out correctly, your slates should be sufficiently diverse. So we do not penalize or remove someone based on their protected status or benefit someone for their protected status. But instead, we use that as a check to see whether the procedure, in this case, Rooney Rule, is operating in the manner we want. The Rooney Rule is a kind of variation on the theme of a internship and a mentoring program is to try to get a broad base. And in this case, particularly, every opportunity is a challenge. Internships and mentoring must be open to all. There are some lawsuits that Nita just talked about that directed towards internships that are narrowly targeted towards people of color. Can't do that anymore. Your internship and your mentorship programs should be available to all qualified applicants. And you can't just start the program, folks. You have to monitor it. You have to make sure it's working. You have to see who's dropping out. And you have to tweak it as required to make sure it meets the kind of goals of success that you want for the company that also comply with what Leslie just described under Title VII. We know about that concept of accountability, that is that the maintain monitoring and accountability on how the tools are operating brings to mind another common tool that we have seen many companies very well intended have said, well, we've got diversity goals, we've got certain targets for hiring and so forth. And to make sure that we hold our managers, our hiring managers accountable, we're going to tie their compensation to it. In fact, we're going to incentivize them. We're going to put their bonus structure in place. Need to mention the Starbucks litigation. That's essentially the core facts that were at issue in that case. And this is a very common tool that we have seen in many different sectors with many different clients. It is not per se illegal to do that. However, it does raise the risk much more so that those goals can be characterized as unlawful quotas. So our advice generally is that we try to stay away from express tying of compensation to those goals. You know, uh, David, that brings me to what I think may be the ultimate point, and that is DEI training. Every challenge is an opportunity. This is how you can succeed. One of the organizations I work with has a motto, everybody in, nobody out. And that's what you have to focus on. You have to teach not just your recruiters, not just HR, but your first-line managers, your second-line managers, and the leadership has to come from the top. We have to find ways of DEI training to show everyone that they are valued. This is not a shame culture. This is a support culture. In many programs, DEI now ends with belonging. And that's the kind of focus that I think we now have to embrace to make sure that we find the value in everyone as quickly and as thoroughly as we can. I think those are great points. And so against those tools, Nita, let's shift over and start to really get into what should companies do now? I mean, there are ways, Bert and I have discussed a few of those common examples of many DEI tools that they can still be used, perhaps tweaked, but what should companies be doing today to mitigate these legal risks? First and foremost is that while the law has not changed a bit, as Leslie already mentioned, it didn't really change Title VII in any way, the risk has changed as we've discussed. There are lots of people out there who are suing over these issues. So first and foremost, you need to do an audit and anything you do has to be done under privilege. So David, how do we get beyond race? Because I think that's really part of the issue here. Well, I think that there are several ways of doing that. First, in terms of aspirational diversity metrics, 
traditionally those have been either race or sex. If you're going to continue to use those traditional ones, which are permitted, that is permissible still to do that. They should, however, be well grounded. They should actually be tied to what the availability is. Let me make a very simple example. If you want 50% of your future senior executive team to be women, and you typically promote from within, if you don't have sufficient women in order that would be eligible for promotion, it's going to be hard to meet that goal. So you need to realistically tailor based on availability. And this could be external hires, et cetera. And the goals should be dynamic. They should be constantly reevaluated and reassessed. Yeah, you know, David, that gets us to the key point, and it's the initial point, and that is to re-examine and increase the good faith outreach and recruitment programs that you have. Goes back to the training. This is another area where the training can help you expand your pools to be representative, to be inclusive, so that no one can challenge the fact that your recruiting and your hires don't reflect an honest, good faith effort to have your workforce reflect the eligible workers in your community. And let me just add, in terms of holding people accountable, instead of holding solely the person at the ultimate decision maker, the hiring manager, et cetera, you can hold accountable your team that's involved in outreach and assessing whether the good faith efforts that you want undertaken are being fully done and whether they are effective. And I think that provides another tool that's useful. Let me just add again, I can't underscore how important it is to review all employment policies and procedures and practices to ensure that they provide equal employment opportunity to all applicants and employees now. Now is the time to be doing this. I agree with that 100%. And I think you need to look at your hiring processes and try to figure out if there are biases in your job descriptions, in your qualifications. You need to figure out how you can expand, as David and Bert have talked about, how can you expand your interview pools, make them bigger, not smaller. And also add back to what Bert mentioned earlier, you've got to do training. Take another look at those EEOC affirmative action guidance and guidelines. They can make a difference. Our clients are looking at this. Do not dismiss that. I agree with that. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're under some time limits because I know we could go on for hours here. I'm going to ask our experts to give us a couple of key takeaways, and I'll lead that off quickly. I think that one of the takeaways, certainly for me, is in order to implement what we've discussed here, a threshold start, not only do it on an attorney privilege basis, cast your net very broadly, assess all of the company's communications. Think of a massive keyword search on affirmative action, diversity. Look at your public statements, your filings with the SEC, your communications to employees, your communications to suppliers, a whole range, and find out what you have said, rack it up, start looking at it, and ask yourself, in the current environment, have we said this in the best way possible? Have we said it in a way that we don't mean to create quotas, but have we done something that could be construed as quota or illicit? If you have, revise, revamp. Now is the time. Things are moving so fast in this area, David, as you said at the beginning, that I think it's imperative that lawyers and HR professionals monitor these ongoing developments on a daily basis. And let me add one other aspect that they need to look at. Section 1981. We've been talking a lot about Title VII, but Section 1981, an old law 
is really going to come into play here as we move forward and we watch these challenges. Well, you know, I don't often give kumbaya moments, but here's my chance. This is the place where you want everybody in the tent. You want legal, DEI, HR, recruiting, talent acquisition, communications, public relations, everybody has to work together to ensure not merely compliance with this unprecedented times, but as David said, to make sure that your public face and your private actions coincide and that you're all pulling at the same oars. Finally, I think employers, as they back away from DEI because they're litigation and they're frightened, don't forget you're still obligated not to discriminate based on race, gender, and so forth. So that means you need to be monitoring things to make sure you're not discriminated against whites, but also that you're not discriminated against Blacks, Latinos, and so forth. I agree, Nita. And also, those that are federal contractors still have to fulfill those obligations, too. So, all right. Well, this won't be the last. This is part of an ongoing discussion. We previously did unpack what happened when the Supreme Court decision came down. Now we're about six weeks out revisiting that, and we're going to stay on this topic because it continues to change very, very quickly. I want to thank the subject matter experts we had today, Nita, Leslie, Burt. Thank you all very much. Great discussion as usual. Please subscribe to DC Insider Employer Update podcast if you haven't. You get great information like this every single time. Thanks, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update. The podcast that provides analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand. You can subscribe to the DC Insider Employer Update podcast wherever you get your podcasts, which includes Apple, Spotify, and Google. Additional information about our podcast is located on the Fortney Scott website at fortneyscott.com. Thanks again for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update.